I want to start by visiting James chapter 1 one more time. And uh, we've lingered in these uh, verse or two for the last several weeks in our conversation about endurance, which is such an important quality and uh, gift from God. And so we, we've spent some time here in James chapter 1. So um, James chapter 1 says this, verses 2 and 4. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, This process that James is talking about, obviously he's talking about walking through tough seasons in life and um, enduring those tough seasons. And, uh, and he's talking about really the beauty of what happens during those tough seasons. Uh, a lot of times we look back, we're like, man, what, what just happened and why did I go through that? But there's always a benefit. There's always fruit to it. God always works things, uh, good things out of bad things. It's kind of what he's about, bring, bringing beauty out of ashes. And so the process that James is talking about, and, and, and even specifically saying that uh, there is uh, a perfect result within us, it is a process of transformation. It is what transformation is. And so what he's uh, highlighting, that's what he's speaking to us, is our personal transformation. And, and just so we know, kind of have context, transformation is becoming practically what we are positionally. And so when we, when we come to know Christ, we are new creations in him. Uh, so we are no longer, it is no longer I who lives, Christ who lives in me. We become our true selves. And so we're, we, the, the true me is alive. Uh, God didn't come to make bad people into good people. He, made, he came to uh, make dead people live, to resurrect the dead. So he made us spiritually alive. We are new creations in Christ. We are a true self. And so that true self is, is something that God is working out to the surface. And that's what transformation is. It's, it's who we are in the, in the true self, uh, the new self, the true self, becoming practically uh, who that is in our everyday lives. And so that is coming to the surface. That's what transformation is, sanctification. All that looks like us Yes, becoming more like Jesus, but that identity is who we really are. So it's us becoming our true selves in, in word and deed and action, all that. And so uh, James is speaking to that. He's saying uh, there is a transformation uh, that happens through tough stuff, uh, through tough seasons. And as much as we celebrate the thought, the idea of transformation. We love it. We like the idea, the thought of becoming uh, somebody, a better version of ourselves. New year, new you. We love that new, that, that kind of the idea of the new me. Uh, uh, we love the idea of becoming uh, even physically transformed uh, through a gym membership or, or whatever, or, or watching uh, uh, Pilates videos on YouTube, whatever you got going on. Uh, we love that idea. But transformation is anything but easy. Uh, it is extremely complicated, and it is difficult, and it is an uncomfortable process. The process of transformation is uncomfortable, 
And so I, I want to kind of uh, turn your attention to Romans chapter 12. This is a very well-known verse that speaks directly to transformation, uh, spiritual transformation. The Apostle Paul is writing this. Uh, this is just the first couple verses in Romans 12. This is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, I, can't, I can't really get into these verses without going back uh, one chapter. Uh, because anytime you're studying the Bible, Bible scholars will tell you that uh, anytime you see the word therefore, it's, impo- it's important to find out what the word is there for. And so um, therefore means what's about to be said is true because of what's just been said. And so you've got to back up to get the context. And so the way that Romans 11 ends, I believe it's verse 36, it, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says all things, everything is from Jesus, through Jesus, and to Jesus, to his glory. Everything's from him, through him, and to him. In other words, Jesus has done everything, is doing everything, and will do everything. This is not something that we tag in and say, Jesus, thanks for your sacrifice. I'll take it from here, pal. Uh, no. Uh, In fact, that would be religion. Religion is taking the baton and saying, Jesus, thanks for your part, now I'll do mine. Uh, No, everything's from, through, to Jesus. He has done it all, he is doing it all, and he will do it all. And so this is all about him. So having said that, that's the setup, right? Because everything's from, through, and to Jesus. Because Jesus has done everything, is doing everything, will do everything, This is what we're called to do. And I just want to break this down real quick. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. What does that mean? Um, That means give you to him. That is, I'm yours. I belong to you. It is is recognition. It's a realization of uh, whose we are. Not just who we are, but whose we are. We belong to him. And so, uh, again, uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. So the statement that Paul makes here to, to offer yourself a living holy sacrifice is to engage in that reality, receive the gift of Jesus being our Lord and Savior, receive that as a relationship, and, and, and understand and lean into the fact that we belong to him. The second part says, he goes on to say, don't be conformed to this world. Now, we all know conformity. Now, uh, to, just to clarify, our version of transformation, human beings' version of transformation, that is becoming more, becoming different, becoming better, bettering self, self-improvement, which is by far the number one Uh, best-selling books in any bookstore, Christian or or otherwise, are self-help books. That endeavor, the best-case scenario, is not transformation, but conformity. Our version of, of changing self is simply conformity because it is not 
the outside changing that, that it, that's transformation. That's conformity. That's cosmetic. Jesus alone can change a heart, transform a heart. Not just what you do, but why you do what you do. Not just what we look like, but, but who we are beneath that. That is a work of God alone. And so, uh, and, and, and I don't want to get into too deep into the weeds here, but so much of Christianity is spent trying to transform others. So we run around and we're trying to change people so that they're more presentable to God, but all we're doing is demanding conformity. Look the part, talk the part, act the part, because you have no idea what's going on beneath the surface. You can't see. Who can know the heart of a man? Not you. Only God can know the heart of a man. And so the best we can ask for is conformity. Here's Paul saying, yeah, don't do that. That's a fool's errand. Don't, don't, that's the wrong path. It's the wrong direction. Don't conform. And the way he puts it is don't conform to this world. In other words, don't settle for the priorities and the focus of this broken culture. Don't accept the priorities that this, this culture hands us. In other words, don't make your life's purpose and your meaning for living what the world presents to you as being the deal. It is not healthy to watch the news. I could end the sentence there. <laughs> it is not healthy to watch the news, period. But I'll continue. It is not healthy to watch the news and then take that as your life's calling to say, ah, that's what I'm all about right there. That is not who and what we are. And that is not what this life is about. This is a blip on the screen. This is trivial temporal issues. We live for more than that. And so we've got to find our focus, our bearings somewhere greater, somewhere bigger. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. That's where we're supposed to live. So don't conform to this world But instead, it goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, our do-it-yourself mentality, the just-do-it nature of our culture, reads that and we leave out a few important words. We read that and we say, transform by the renewing of your mind. On it, it's not what it says. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, it's all passive. None of that's a directive. That is passive. It is to say, allow this process to take place in your hearts and your life. It doesn't say get out there and transform yourself by renewing your own mind. That is not something that is within our realm of uh, capability. I can't do that. I can't transform myself. I can't renew my own mind. That is the work of the Holy Spirit within me. And so uh, he goes on to say this. So that, so we're transforming of our mind for this purpose, so that we may prove what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is similar language, if you notice. Go back to the end of James, chapter, four, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And here's Paul saying in Romans 12, so... Uh, uh, so that you may prove what the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. In other words, to be walking, talking, proof, examples of God's amazing grace and His love. Testimonies of His grace. Trophies of God's grace. 
So transformation is absolutely vital. We need it. This world needs it. God is, His kingdom is coming. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven in and through believers. In and through those who believe in Him, who trust Him. He is, he is shining His light through these vessels. As broken and cracked, as flawed as we are, all the better. Because God only uses cracked, messed up, flawed vessels. I love the verse that says, we have this treasure in earthen containers. Uh, very humble vessels. But it is a treasure nonetheless. It is life-changing, world-changing. So the transformation is this light shining in and through us. It is His glory, His grace shining through our lives. That is the process of transformation. So transformation is vital not just for me, not just for you, but for the world. The world needs us to experience the transformation that God's talking about here. And what it requires of us, within us, on the journey, and this is what James is hitting hard in chapter 1 of his letter, is that it requires endurance. Transformation requires a commitment to not quit. Because again, transformation is not comfortable. We like the thought and idea of change, but the actual process of transformation, it can be uncomfortable, it can be difficult, it can be uh, something that a lot of folks quit on. I'm going to spend a, a, a couple weeks in, for the next few weeks in Hebrews chapter 12, and so if you want to turn your attention there. Uh, the author of Hebrews here in this chapter uh, provides some incredibly practical direction on how we endure, how it's possible to endure, to keep going. When the going gets tough, to keep going, to, to do tough stuff. Now, we're, uh, we're very acclimated in our world, in our culture, and through technology and all the comforts that we enjoy, and I'll admit it, uh, I'm spoiled. Um, I don't, it, it, when the power goes off, for like 10 minutes, you realize how spoiled you are. And so anything that challenges our comfort or, or, or draws us outside of that comfort zone and makes us uncomfortable, we see it as that's bad and that's off limits. Well, it, it's only outside of our comfort zone that God really works through our faith. God, God doesn't work through our comfort. He doesn't work within our comfort zones. He works within our faith. And so how do we endure? How do we, how do we uh, allow God to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, to allow God to lead and direct us outside of our comfort zones into the places where it's difficult and tough for us? Well, the author of Hebrews talks about that practically. How do we do that? Starting in verse 1, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. The author is using, I, I think very purposely, 
uh, an analogy. And it's a very relatable analogy. And he's, he's painting, and this is not the only time in Scripture. We'll look at other, uh, several other instances where this is the case, where uh, running a race is uh, a comparison for our lives and how we live our lives. And so um, I think this, this comparison, this analogy is important, not just because we understand, what, I mean, we've all run a race. Uh, through childhood or whatever, we've all run a race. But I, I don't even know that it's, it, I mean, that's a, a, a big part of this. The, 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 the part of running is a, a big part of the picture here. But I think we can all relate to even uh, what's being talked about here, and that is winning. We can all relate to that desire, that drive to win, to succeed, to be successful. Uh, we, we can all relate to that. And I think that's a lot of the purpose here, is that we want to come out on top. We want to win. Uh, my wife and my daughter and I uh, love watching Jeopardy. We love it. And uh, right now, Celebrity Jeopardy is going on, so it's dumbed down, and you feel like a genius. You're like, I am the smartest man alive. And so uh, we're watching it. And uh, I'm, I'm realizing, we're watching it actually last night, and I'm realizing how, uh, how much I want to win. I'm not on the show. I'm not competing. Uh, I'm not, I'm not it, you know, nowhere near it. We're not wagering money in our house. But my wife and my daughter, I'm, I want them to know that I'm winning. I want them to know that I am so smart. There's something about that. There's a drive. We want to win. We want to be good. Uh, Emery, who uh, led worship for us, Emery's were fantastic. Were they? My goodness gracious, that was an awesome worship. Uh, but Emery uh, played guitar, and we went over to my friend Josh's house uh, a week or two ago, and we played some Nintendo 64, uh, the old school, and we played Goldeneye, which, yes. And, uh, and I demanded we play the version of Goldeneye that involves proximity mines, which is just setting traps and then doing nothing. I'm awesome at that. And you know what? Both those guys were in tears. They were like, Chris, you were the greatest ever. They both said that, I think. And then we switched off for that one very narrow set of parameters, and then Joshua just started making us look like we weren't even there. Just embarrassing us. We were playing two on one. Emery and I against Josh. And he was just talking all kinds of trash. And I think you guys should pray for him because there's a lot of pride in. Uh, no, I, 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 you realize I, you want to, if you're going to do something, you want to win. And I think that's the analogy here, is just, is playing to that. It's like, we all want to win. We want to succeed. We want to be good at our job. We want to be good parents. We want to be a great spouse. We want to be good friends. We want to be good at what we do. We all do. And so, that is a natural desire. That is a natural drive. And, and the author here is, is capitalizing on that drive and saying, that's good. Let's talk about it. Now, we've talked about the contest. We, the, I think last week we, we mentioned this. The contest that exists 
within our hearts and our minds, it's a struggle between the priority that God sets before us and the preference that we feel, our own preferences. And so there's an there's a internal battle always over the priority of what God set before us and our own personal preference. Those things are continually at odds. So uh, also in Hebrews, God says, hey, don't forsake the assembling together. Don't forsake coming together. Don't forsake community. Make this a priority. Do life together. That's the priority I'm setting before you. And the Bible says, don't, don't forsake it as is the habit of some. It's a habit for some because it's a preference for some. The preference is, I would rather do my own thing. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to small group. I don't want to be involved in community. I'd rather be by myself and do what I feel like doing. So there is a contest happening between the priority that God set before us and the preference that we feel. We feel that continually. And and then the author of Hebrews actually goes deeper into that struggle and, and, and gives us a key in overcoming that struggle. And I love this. This was this is setting me free this week. Um, the the key in this struggle is this perspective. The prize. The prize has to be worth the pain. The prize has to be worth the pain. In other words, the priority the. The, the benefit of the priority that God sets before us, the benefit of following and pursuing that priority has to overwhelm, be greater than, be bigger than, has to be worth the pain and discomfort it requires in order to receive the prize. To step into what God's providing for us. Consider the analogy the author uses. Running a race. Now, running for some is fun. I don't trust those people. There is something inherently wrong with those types of people. Gluttons for punishment. But running in general, I've done it, is not something that is necessarily easily, easy to do, right? It is often, it's easy for a minute, and then it requires a little bit more uh, oomph. Endurance, if you will. So what's the incentive for people to do it? There has to be incentive. There has to be a prize. There has to be a payoff. There is a reason that people run. Now, for some people, it might just be because their car doesn't work. (laughs) That I can understand. There is a bear chasing you. I get it. Running is imperative. But what's the payoff? Well, it's, it, for some, like I said, it's fun. And for some, they are, and I'd say for m- most, there is a consideration of health involved. You run because it's a healthy thing to do. And there's health benefits. For some people, running is really just about being involved in a community. Because as much as we resist community, we, 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 we crave it. We're built to crave it. We, we live in such a, a, a world full of technology where now we've got people who crave community that, that, that also don't want to be around people. 
So we have online communities. I, I never want to meet you. I never want to see you in, for the rest of my life. But I want to have a, have a headset and play a video game and talk to you and, and be a part of this. Because we crave some version of community and, and we settle for counterfeits. But running is a community. Runners run together. They do things together. It's a craving, a, 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 we crave belonging, being a part of something. Um, a lot of people run because it's a challenge to push themselves, to embrace a challenge, to win, to overcome something. And I, I, I just, I'll kind of venture into some other deeper territory. A lot of us do things like running or other things because we want to prove something to ourselves or other people. We've got something to prove. I can do this, and I want to, you to know. That's why we slap the... Uh, no one in the history of the world has ever ran a marathon and not told anyone about it. <laughs> in fact, I would say that is the whole purpose of running a marathon, so that you can talk about the fact that you ran a marathon. And put a little sticker, like the 8.5 thing on the back of your 13.4. Whatever you think everyone knows what that is. I'm thinking it's just a radio station. I don't know what you've got going on. But you, you, you run so that you can prove to some, and even, even really the, the bragging rights of it, which I get. Again, I, I'm, I'm the chief sinner when it comes to that. I love bragging. Bragging is a spiritual gift of mine. Um, but there's a lot of reasons. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because something motivates us to do tough stuff. But do those things have enough power to motivate us when it really gets tough? I wanna, I wanna, uh, I'm going to share uh, several scriptures with you today. I hope that's okay to read the Bible in church. But um, I, I want to kind of rattle off a few here. And they all connect. And I, this is the beauty of the Scripture. It's all, it all connects around the person of Christ. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. This is what it says. Do, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? <laughs> I love that sentence. Yes. <laughs> do you know that people that run in a race, they're running? I love he's Captain Obvious. I love it, uh, but only one receives the prize. And, uh, and again, this is Paul taking cue from the author of Hebrews, whoever that is, uh, comparing our life to a race. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they they then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. This is the prize. But we, an imperishable, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, not without direction, not without focus, not without a, a reason, a purpose. Now, he's saying, uh, a lot of people give their lives to run, to compete, to the drive, the, the, the thing pushing them forward is a perishable wreath. Now, I've never done anything outside of my comfort zone in order to secure a wreath. Uh, a wreath is not something that I, I value. But the, the symbolism is the prize. 
The thing that pushes us, that motivates us, that drives us is a perishable, temporary prize. And we all experience that. We all do things for the payoff. There's a reason. As noble as we think we are, we get something out of everything. There's always a, a little thing in the back of our mind, what's in it for me? When someone says, can you help me move? You're like, what you going to feed me? When, when, when someone asks for you to help them do something else, in the back of your mind is like, I'm going to cash in this later on when I need your help. I'm going to leverage it. Temporary perishable wreaths are the main reason we do pretty much everything. It's, it's money. You know, um, money is a really good motivator. It really is. There's a lot of things that people... Uh, what, I, I said, I had a friend told me one time, he said, Chris, you know, how's volunteer... Uh, how's the volunteer life of your church? I said, eh, you know, it's good and bad. I mean, there's, 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 there's surges, and this a couple years ago. And uh, I said, yeah, it's just, it's tough. And he said, yeah, well, volunteers, you get what you pay for. I was like, yeah. It changes when it's an employee, right? There, for whatever reason, it's easier to get up at 8 a.m., 9 a.m. when you, your paycheck is on the line, right? But it's a volunteer thing. You're like, eh, no big deal. Uh, another great motivator is guilt, pressure, and manipulation. It's why the church has become so adept at using it. <laughs> it's magnificent. It is, a, it is a sight to behold, the church's grasp on pressure and manipulation. It is amazing. I, I'm still recovering from a life of giving myself to that. Living motivated and driven by guilt. It, it is used because it works. It works. Now, those things are temporal, fleshy, temporary motivations. They will not sustain you, and they will not carry you. So there is an imperishable wreath that the Apostle Paul is turning our attention to. He's saying, guys, the, the, this other stuff just won't do. It won't work for you. There's a greater prize. There's, a, there's an eternal prize that can carry us through every single moment that we face. It's a prize that's so great that someone would actually sacrifice absolutely everything else for it. It's so valuable, it's worth laying everything else aside. A couple of scriptures I want to share with you back to back. The first is in the book of Acts. This uh, this is um, recorded by Dr. Luke, one of the um, Jesus' disciples. But this, this is a quote from the Apostle Paul in the early part of his ministry. He's about to... St- go to, travel to Jerusalem, and he was going into the lion's den. This is going to be, this is going to get ugly for him. So Acts 20, verse 24, the Apostle Paul says this, I I don't consider my life of any account dear to myself. 
that sentence alone is not normal. I don't consider my life as being dear to myself. I don't, I don't care about that. He goes on to say what he cares about. So that I may finish my course, my race, in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly, uh, solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, in, in, in terms of priority, he's saying, my life is less than, less important than, communicating the gospel of grace to this world. The message of the finished work of Jesus is greater than my own personal existence. And culturally speaking, humanity lives in the vortex of its own personal existence. In fact, I would say consumed by to the point of not seeing anything beyond our own personal existence. The call of Christ to say, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, I don't think we ever really sit down and consider how impossible that is. That is not something that is, we're capable of doing. Deny yourself. I want to read this too. This is <clears throat> pairs together nicely with what we just read. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Just picture this. Just get a hold of this. Whatever things were gained to me, whatever I, I accumulated and gained and purchased and secured for my own life, all those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of, this is, this is what matters, the, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, so that I might gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, not to the world, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I must, I press on so that I may lay hold of that which uh, also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, it's Paul covers a lot of ground there, and we could spend weeks and weeks on these verses alone. But what I'm, what I'm going to focus on as we wrap up today, in order to endure this life, in order to endure the process of transformation in this life, God creating us to be more like His Son, Jesus. Not creating us to be something that we're not, but removing the things that are in the way of us actually truly being who we are. That's what transformation is. It's, everything's being, it's, it's, the, it's the refiner's fire. Everything else is being burned away. 
and the purity of who we truly are is coming out onto the surface. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. That process is not easy. It is not comfortable. In order to endure that life of transformation, in order to endure the path that God's got us on, in, in order to endure the tough stuff, the prize has to remain bigger, better, greater than the pain. Because there is pain. It is tough. And, and I, I, I could go in every scenario and take us all day, but, but just a couple. Within community, within this journey, your feelings are going to get hurt. Because we're emotionally vested. Your feelings aren't hurt by people you don't care about. Your feelings are hurt by people that you trust and that you, you ingratiate your life to, that you commit to and connect to in, in community. But it doesn't make those people perfect. I am a bonehead. To, to borrow a quote and, and modify it for my own use from the Apostle Paul, I am the chief bonehead. I mess up so much it could be a reality show. It's silly. I'm careless. I'm usually not that thoughtful. I am flippant oftentimes with my words. And uh, you can chalk all that up to just me being someone who cannot lean on his own strength. I desperately need the grace of God. And I know it. But that happens. And I, I think it's natural once you get offended or, or have your emotions hurt to withdraw. But family doesn't do that. We are offended in community. It's just, it, it's off- we've gotten to a place in our culture where we feel like offense is like the worst thing that can happen. In fact, I would say offenses are good. To be offended is a good thing because it helps us in that moment of clarity to, be, to put things in perspective and say what actually matters here. My own personal sensibilities in being right or God's love and grace. There is a, a lot of challenges that we're faced with in this journey that, that demand of us to be drawn out of our comfort zones and we will, we will do that kicking and screaming. All this pain and discomfort. You know, there's no, there's no tougher time to, to lean in and engage in community than when we're going through a lot of garbage. We're facing heartbreak and loss and difficulty and pain and struggle. There's nothing that causes us to close in on ourselves and isolate more than being in pain. And really, the cause of Christ and the body of Christ, a lot of the purpose of that, the fact that that is God's beautiful design, is that so we can lean in as we experience pain and loss and allow the other members of that body to help us carry the burdens with us. That we're not alone in this. We need each other. But the prize has to be greater than the pain, the discomfort, and the sacrifice.
Paul speaks to this personally. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things. I love this phrase. I am being conformed to his death. That doesn't sound fun. But in comparison to the prize, he says it's all worth it. And what is the prize? He says, gaining Christ and being found in him. This is tough. This hurts. This is uncomfortable. But through it all, I get Jesus. What else is going to compare to that? It's all worth it. He says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call. And that, that speaks to lifting our eyes, lifting our heads above just this temporal, temporary, broken, fallen world to something greater, something higher. I'll close with this reality. And we'll, we'll, we'll get more into this next week. In this situation... The prize is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. But unlike all the perishable wreaths that we chase, here's the beauty of this particular prize. We don't reach the prize. The prize reaches us. We don't earn the prize. The price earned us. The prize is reaching us. The prize is carrying us. The finish line came to us. Jesus, we can't go up, so Jesus came down. We can't earn or deserve. The Bible says, all run the race. One wins. Now before we get caught up with the, the thought that I'm going to be a winner... And I'm going to run this race better than anybody ever has. Jesus has run the race for us. Back to Hebrews. The whole comparison is this. How can we endure our race? Because Jesus endured His. How can we endure? Because Jesus endured everything. Death, hell, the grave, sin, punishment for that sin. Death on the cross. He took our place. He endured all that. So that the prize can reach out and carry us. We don't carry the day for the prize. The prize carries us. Jesus has reached us. He, you did not choose Him. He chose you. You don't win for Him. He won for you. In fact, I'll say this. And this goes against every self-help book I've ever read. We don't win by winning. We win by losing. We win the race by losing it. By quitting. By throwing in the towel and saying, it is, it is finished. It is done. I can't thank God through Christ Jesus he has for me. It's in our weakness that His strength is perfected. It is His finished work. It is from Him, through Him, to Him. Chris, I am not doing well. That's great. No, I'm sorry, but it's great. 
Because God's going to meet you right there. He's going to carry you. Read the Bible. The people that the lights came on for were not the together. They were not the morally together. In fact, if that was the, if that was the course, Jesus would have highlighted the Pharisees and said, these are your mentors. I don't remember him doing that. There was a little contention between Jesus and the Pharisees. What he highlighted was the broken. He highlighted the sinful. Do you remember uh, the, the woman that burst into the, the Pharisees' home where Jesus is having dinner? And the Pharisees were like, this lady is gross. You're letting her touch your feet. That is disgusting. I would boil my feet if I were you. This is, she is a scandalous woman. How dare you? And this is what Jesus says. You know what? You guys need to learn a lesson from her. What? Take cues from her. Let your lives be inspired by her. It is the upside-down, backwards, counterintuitive nature of the gospel of grace. It doesn't make sense, but it shouldn't make sense because it's not of this world, it's otherworldly. And it is something that we are, uh, we are, we are consumed by, not that we logic and reason through. The grace of God will never make earthly sense because it's not an earthly principle. The earth makes... Karma makes sense on earth. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's karma. The kingdom of God is this. The only one who is good extends His goodness to everyone else who is not good. We are carried by the prize as our eyes are opened to the reality that the prize has captured me and I needed that so bad because I wasn't about to finish this race. I was not about to win it. But Jesus won it on my behalf. Fixing our eyes on Him. He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith.